forever. Dog. This episode of the Need to Fail is brought to you by a pair of scissors. You know, funny enough, a pair of scissors doesn't mean two separate scissors. It describes one scissor that you can use to cut stuff like paper, strings, and food. But not for me, because I'm left-handed, and I have to get special scissors like the special little boy that I am. A pair of scissors. They don't work for me. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Need to Fail. My name is Don Finelli. I run this thing. Oh man, we got a juicy one today with one of my dear friends, James Robolata. Uh, I'm just going to jump into this episode. Let me tell you about James real quick. He's a professional speaker and life coach. Uh, He's touring the country, giving talks and seminars uh, at colleges, at businesses. He dropped a book in 2015 called Leading Imperfectly, uh, which talks about how to lead authentically through the power of vulnerability. And you can catch James every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern on YouTube Live and Facebook Live doing his show, Diner Talks with James. Oh, man. James is just one of those dudes that I uh, I connected with early at UCB. We went through the whole system together. Uh, we took a bunch of classes together. We had a two-man team called The Door Test, a little bit from one of our favorite movies, A Bronx Tale, which we will quote throughout this interview. But we just hit it off, man. He's just one of the kindest... Uh, most supportive dudes I have ever met. Uh, he taught me photography. He took my first headshots. We had a shit ton of barbecue together. Uh, but most importantly, he let me crash at his pad a bunch uh, when he was working at Fordham University in Lincoln Center. And that really enabled me to dedicate myself to, you know, watching, practicing, performing improv uh, for the whole fucking weekend. So he's a helper. He's a guide. Uh, he cares so much about people improving themselves, being their best selves. And uh, I really think he's found his true calling. Uh, but not without bumps, not without bumps. Uh, you know, we talk about his journey through UCB first, you know, him auditioning for Harold teams, kind of finding some roadblocks there, but it led him to start his indie team North Coast. And that is the original and best hip hop improv team in New York, named one of the top 10 best comedy shows by Time Out New York. And I think they were performing every Saturday night in, in, in New York City at the pit uh, before this whole COVID shit happened. And my goddamn indie team, fuck that shit, could not beat them in cage match. So we get into all of that stuff, but we also talk about his first marriage uh, falling apart and and how difficult that uh, you know time was for him and what got him through that and what got him to take this leap into professional speaking and life coaching. So we cover it all. He drops gems throughout this whole interview. I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, the first hour and 20 minutes, we focus mostly on James, okay? But the last 20, 25 minutes, this motherfucker flips the script on me, starts asking me questions, dropping his life coach shit on me, which I desperately needed and greatly appreciated. (laughs) And he really made me think about things uh, I haven't before, and he put me in a real vulnerable state. And, ah, oh, man, I loved it. I loved it. But maybe maybe you don't want to hear that, so feel free to skip the last 20, 25 minutes. That's, that's kind of, uh, I don't give a shit what you do, guys. It's, it's, it's your podcast, as much as it is mine, okay? So let's jump into it. It's my boy. Here he is, James T. Robolata. You told me, oh, UCB didn't work out the way I planned on it working out when I was there. And looking back, are you happy about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, ultimately, 
Uh, I think yes. I mean, you have to, I mean, you got to keep moving, right? Like, I mean, you just yeah. like, I don't know that that'd be, that's a lot to carry. Uh, and, yeah. and, uh, I'm already, yeah, I'm carrying enough. Thank you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, UCB didn't work out the play. I mean, I think I went to, uh, I got a job in New York working in, in yeah. residence life at a university in New York. Cause I was like, Oh shoot, how can I figure out a way how to live in New York city for free while getting to do right. what I love and try to grow a craft, which was comedy. And, um, and, and I mooched off of that. Amen. Yeah. yeah come, come through and crash, get that parking spot. Um, get that parking spot man, for my Buick LeSabre. God, like a VIP rolling up in that place, yeah, man. Yep, definitely. That was back when Buicks looked like Buicks, you know, they've done so That's much right. to change. It's really, That's it's right, so impressive. Man. Um, I know Buicks for Buicks. Yeah. <laughs> when when men were men and Buicks were Buicks, <laughs> and sheep were scared. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, but I mean, but the goal was uh, to uh, to to chase right this dream of Saturday Night Live, um, and, yeah. uh, and and so, but also the chase the, the the dream of community. Right, moving to New York City, it's such an isolating place, and and improv is such a special place. To make friends because it's a team-driven yeah. sport. Now, unlike stand-up, the stand-up community, the community was was really cold and isolating um, at the time that I yeah. that I was in it. And um, yeah. but yeah, but I mean, the goal was Saturday Night Live, and and the goal was just a exposure, and 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 it was super special. I feel like. I feel like, I mean, obviously everything that happened in the UCB recently is what it is. And when we were there, it was such an electric time to be a part of yeah. that community, right? Like we were there when yeah. it just blew the hell up and all these crazy names mm-hmm. came out. And I was interning when Kate McKinnon was doing her one-person shows and and Pete Holmes uh, was, do, was yeah. doing his stuff on Monday nights. And like, right, like yeah. uh, this time where John wow. Mulaney would walk in and do a set and just, it was such a... It was such a special time. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I took a whole bunch of classes and was and loved it and loved the community. But then I started taking sketch classes because, like, all right, bro, you're talking about stand up. You're talking about SNL. Like, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And I got into sketch yeah. writing classes and I realized that, like, you know, this is, I, I didn't love it. I was like, you know, I just didn't. And and uh, and yeah. you thought it's it's so interesting that you think it's what you want until you start putting yeah. the work in. And then you realize yeah. that you it's it's yeah. one thing to love the dream, it's another thing to love the journey. Um and Yeah, right, right, right. And I didn't love the journey as much. And so I look back at that time as a place of awareness. I mean, unlike you, I mean, I feel like I mean you you and I became really close friends in the beginning, mm-hmm. and then you had yeah. a lot of really amazing opportunities based on the back of your talent um, mm-hmm. that 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 came to you, and you really uh, thrived in the UCB community. It was really beautiful to watch. You know, it's just, it's interesting. It's a tale of two journeys. Yeah, it is interesting because yeah, we kind of came up together. We were in a couple classes together. We became close. You became a person. I felt like. I could lean on because I didn't, I didn't have like necessarily like artistic support in my life, I would say. So like when I started discovering like-minded folks that were simpatico and we just had fun together, man. Like it was just like, we could be ourselves with each other, I think, which was a really important thing, especially between men. You know what I mean? I think it's like, like that male friendship to kind of drop the, to, to drop into vulnerability with each other, I think is important. And I don't think you get too many opportunities 
in life, even like your best friends from home, right? Like there's still some sort of like they've seen you at your worst and you're still like talking on surface level shit most of the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yep. It's just insane. But you find those people that you can walk in a park together and like learn photography, with. you know, like talk about other artistic things, talks about, talk about dreams, goals. And you were so generous and kind as well. And let me, you know, <laughs> let me mooch and crash, which was invaluable. Do you know what I mean? To, yeah. to be able to take things that extra step, right? We always need to kind of take that extra step uh, or go the extra kind of even inch to kind of test. Like you said, like testing your dream out. Like if you don't like the journey, like if the journey feels uncomfortable for you, yeah. it might. I, I guess there's a difference between pushing past that uncomfortable feeling because of fear. Yeah. And there's a, and then also there's like a, it's a fine line with, between your soul telling you this really isn't right for you. Um, I think we're so afraid to even get to that point that like people, I feel like that's like a big part of your, your, your speaking, right. Is like taking that first, like getting out of the way of fear and taking that first step. Yeah. And you took that first step. You go, I want to be on SNL. And, but at the same time, like you got your counselor's degree, like you were with, like, it seemed like you, you thrived on helping people, right? Yeah. Like, it seemed like you genuinely loved to listen and, uh, bring like smiles to people's faces, like lighten them up. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, for sure. You genuinely like to make people happy and help them. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's a difference between, uh, being funny and spending the rest of your life in the pursuit of comedy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So well said. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Uh, And I love what you said, man. I mean, you're right. I mean, especially we were both new in the community and New York city is an overwhelming place. And the UCB um, is such a, is such an iconic establishment that it's easy to get into comparison really quick. Mm -hmm. And so just to have Mm -hmm. two men, uh, two friends that could talk to each other, right. I mean, especially so often when you're in new communities, especially as men, you're looking for ways to be cool and not great. Um, and, and we helped each other be great. And, um, and so, yeah, exactly what you're saying is, 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 is beautiful. Um, yeah. I think that in in realizing what you talked about is like, you know, you love making people laugh. You love making people feel good and bright. I mean, yeah, those those are parts of me that I that I cherish and I don't often see them as strengths, but they are. But I think what I learned mm-hmm. about myself in that time, as you mentioned with the counseling degree, um, is that uh, I have an innate educator inside of me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so uh, I have longed to be on stages in front of a lot of people. And I initially mm-hmm. just thought it was because I wanted to make them laugh. And I've learned right. that it's also really important for me to make people think. Um, and, yeah. and so... And so that's one of those things where you're right, that dream, it, it wasn't necessarily that S- SNL was what felt like the dream. Um, uh, right. And But let, needless to say, sometimes our, our what we're actually called to do is like just behind the clear thing that media tells us we're supposed to do, right? It's like that thing yeah, that's like right. just to the left that you didn't quite notice it because <laughs> it's kind of in a creepy alley. Um, yeah. But yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I, and it was, I, I bring this up a lot, but I, I'll say it every goddamn time. Like my mentor always said, like you saying, piggybacking off that, a mentor in my life when I was kind of lost and 
was my dad's old football coach, Frank Gargiulo, who was like the superintendent of schools in North Bergen, New Jersey. Just a great name. And uh, great guy. (laughs) And, you know, at like 80 something years old, still thriving, still rocking and rolling. And he was like, say what you want. What do you want? Like, what's your goal? Um, He also like gave me the book Strength Finder 2.0, gave me that book. Uh, and which is like a book where you kind of take a test online and then it kind of breaks down your, your top three strengths for you. Mm -hmm. My number one was empathy, which is very crazy. Uh, and it was, he was like, go for your goal and it's going to be like a tree and you have all your kind of energy into that kind of trunk. And then as you go and pursue your dream, it starts to branch off. Like you're not going to expect it, but the tree naturally starts growing branches so you might go, I want to be on SNL. And then you start pursuing that and you take, you go to a school that where people are kind of almost like a farm team for SNL and you start doing that, but there's other things inside of you. So if there's maybe a door that closes, it's like you pivot, right? Yeah. Like you, like it branches out. So your love of kind of talking to people and moving people, right? Like getting a reaction from them. Like, tr- make, like really wanting to see the, tr- and this is what I get off on, on stage, yes. which I've also talked about. It has nothing to do with the laugh. It's the, it's the reaction, right? And it doesn't need to be a laugh. It can be that solid, that, that moment where you're completely connected and you're all thinking deeply. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you made, you affected someone to think you could see it in their eyes or maybe not from the fucking stage because you're blinded by light, <laughs> but you could feel it, right? You can feel that energy. I think that's what we both get off on is that energy of connection, right? Like that energy of change. We're all kind of feeling this one thing or that feeling where you go like, I, I think you get what I'm talking about or I think you feel or I've, I've transported you somewhere else, yeah. right? There's some sort of power in that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, what a gift we have uh, to stir mm-hmm. emotions in others. Right. It's, it's beautiful. And this is, I mean, this is one of the things, not just negative emotions, yeah, any, yeah, any emotion. Yeah. But, but all yeah. emotions, right. Um, right sure. And the ability to capture people and take them for a ride, right? Like as yeah, an improviser, right. as an actor, as a speaker, as a teacher, it's our job to take our audience or students or whoever on a roller coaster, right? Because the higher we get them, the more we get them laughing, the more they're sitting back in their chairs, their walls are down, and then we can sucker punch them in the feels with that moment. And that's something that you, I mean, you particularly, Don, as an an improviser, um, were so Mm -hmm. good at, um, was just Mm -hmm. creating those moments of authenticity on the stage. Um, it's, Mm -hmm. it's what truly separated you from so many. Um, and, uh, and I know this is a podcast where you told me I'm just supposed to compliment you the whole time. So you're welcome. Uh, you're not supposed to say that. Oh shit. All right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But thank you. Oh God, but thank, yeah. We we both, I think, notoriously have <laughs> trouble uh, 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 accepting and hearing compliments. Absolutely. Uh, uh, so it's always uncomfortable to hear that stuff. But I that that is a high compliment. One coming from you, and two, it's always something I cherished on stage. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're uh, pharmacists out here. We pass out the drugs, but we don't take them ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, no, you <laughs> should believe in yourself. No, you should. You you're the best, right? Like. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, for me, no, I mean, that's not for me, though. I mean, no, no, I'm a piece of shit. But 
it's it's so easy to look back and be um, clear about that. But when you were actually going through it, your journey through UCB, did you feel like, oh, I failed? Did you feel like, were you lost? Was it was it frustrating for you, or how how was that? When you did discover, you said, oh, you take yeah. that sketch class. But you were taking improv. Like, you were auditioning for Harold Knight. You were trying to Do it. get your dream. And, and, and there was and, – and, and someone said no. You know what I mean? Yeah. How are you dealing with all that shit? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, I got I got a couple of callbacks. Um, uh-huh. And uh, for Harold Knight, I was, you know, one step away from, from doing it. Um, and yeah. uh, there was a fascinating point in my life. And I don't, I mean, it probably happened maybe in my, I mean, I was heavily involved in the, in the UCB community. I started in 2007. I think we started, like I said, around the same time, it's like 07 ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and was, was heavily involved for a lot of years. Um, <clears throat> interned, uh, when you could intern for multiple, multiple classes, right? Milk in the system. Yeah. Um, yep. with, uh, with the legend Chuck Dauble, rest in peace. Um, and, yeah, um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I was certainly gunning for it. And I think the word that I would use, the word that I would use was initially was hurt. Um, mm, it, right. it, it hurt uh, to not be seen as as funny to some people, right? It hurt to right. say like, you, the way that you do this isn't good enough. Um, yeah. And it took me a long time to realize that a few people's uh, judgments of me don't determine whether or not I'm funny um, or don't determine whether or not I'm good enough to do this art form that is made up on the spot. <laughs> um, right. And uh, right. you know, it's interesting because I also look at it at the time that I came to UCB um, and the time that I came to UCB, there were not a lot of really huge character players that were happening. It was yeah. a very, it was time of very intense realism, a lot of social <laughs> detachment, right? A lot of ironic yeah, detachment. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and that's like what was in at that time. And meanwhile, yeah. like, so that's why I looked up to like your, your Jim Santangeli's, uh, your too, Charlie man. Sanders, yep. your, uh, like, like yep. these folks, but those folks weren't getting put on teams when you and I were, when I were, were coming up. Right. Uh, that was right. not what the teachers were looking for. That's not all the notes that I was given was um, were, yeah. were appropriate. And they taught me how to be better characters. And I'm very grateful for things that you know, like Will Hines and Gethard taught me. It's also a little bit of the wrong, wrong, wrong person, wrong time <laughs> um, yeah. for that theater, because there was a time where that my style of humor was really popular. Um, and yeah. it just wasn't where it was at that time. And so yeah. That's for me why I don't consider it a. I, I, there was part of me that was very hurt. Um, and like yeah. after you audition seven, seven times, you're just like, yo, is it, is it, is it me? Um, and like mm-hmm. it is, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why <laughs> yeah, I started. That, that, that's okay part yeah. is the important part. Yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, yeah. you know this that I mean, I started North Coast. Um, yeah, in the midst yeah, of all of this, it, yeah. in the midst of all mm-hmm. of this, and starting North Coast, a, a freestyle rapping hip hop improv team um, in New York, the first the first hip hop improv team in New York City, um, in in the middle of all of these no's, um, but it was so important because I was getting that validation somewhere else, right. um, and so right. I think if I didn't have North Coast, I would really think I was a pretty big piece of shit. Um, I don't know if I would have continued, continued to just get in there and take my beatings. Um, uh, if I didn't have something that was giving me life and reminding me like, 
you are good at this. Um, and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that's what I would say to that answer. Did you start North Coast out of frustration or did you start it out of like, you know what I haven't seen is, you know, freestyle, rap, like a love of yours yeah. combined with like, how did you even think of that? Did something, what sparked that idea. Yeah, for sure. Um, I did not start it out of frustration at all, actually, because I, I mean, again, I started doing stuff at UCB in 2007 and, uh, and North Coast started in 2009. Um, so I was yeah. still pretty young on my UCB journey at that time. Um, I think I would yeah. I think I had just taken what was back then called 501 for the first time. Um, no, I formed it because I was like, why we are in we were we are in the city where hip hop was created. How is there no hip hop improv? And also, there were great <laughs> there were great musical improv teams at that point. Um, yep. You know, your IE Pandas and the Magnet Theater was doing mm-hmm. some really beautiful stuff around that. But yep. there was no hip hop, and I was like, "There's a there's a gap here." Yeah. And so I had seen a team actually that Jordan Klepper played on back when he was in Chicago. Um, uh-huh. It was called uh, the Beatbox, um, and mm-hmm. uh, and so I had seen them perform a while ago when I was in graduate school. And I was like, oh, that was really cool. That'd be fun to do one day. And then I just decided, yeah. like, I'll put it on the IRB. Um, it was just like, hey, is anybody interested? <laughs> the IRC, IRC, baby. Yeah. Is anybody IRC? <laughs> excuse me. IRB is a research thing. I um, <laughs> uh, love it. That was a mixture of both of my worlds right there. Um, but uh, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, I just put it out there. I was like, hey, is anybody interested in – does anybody have a love of hip-hop that wants to see what it looks like in, in musical in musical improv and putting this together? So, yeah. Yeah. I remember that OG – I remember that OG group and a constant nemesis for fuck that shit and cage match could not beat you guys ever. <laughs> Did you – I have to tell you this story where – we sometimes fuck that shit. We get like extra show, like a, you know, a fill in show, like someone bailed or something like that. Yeah. So Shan or whoever was the AD would reach out and be like, Hey, you guys want the show? And we thought it'd be funny to do a cage match against ourselves. <laughs> so, so we like made the, like Josh Patton made the cards up and, you know, so it was like, fuck that shit and fuck that shit. Everything looked the same. We had announcers. We did fake wrestling at, we, you know, we did <laughs> have the announcer. We did our first show 25 minutes. Then we did our own fake wrestling uh, interstitial where like Aaron Jackson played uh, Christy Brinkley and we were all Billy Joel's and then and then and then we went back and then we're introduced as fuck that shit again and did another 25 minute set and the I thought it'd be very funny to come out and say like who won so fuck that shit comes out and the winner was uh, North Coast that's who won that <laughs> We could not beat you guys ever, and I will not let that – I would not let it stand that we would ever beat you guys. So you you won that cage match as well. I want to let you know that. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, appreciate yeah. you. Of course. Of course. <laughs> That's incredible. But, that, but, but, North Crows, but North Crows grew, man. Like you – I think you have admitted that North Crows maybe wasn't the best in the beginning, but you guys kept at it and really – you know, found this core team and then became a regular performing team. You became a top 10 uh, act and, you know, timeout act in New York city. That's fucking huge, man. Like what made you, was it just like, Oh, this is fun. Did you have goals with that team? Like, were you like, Oh, we can teach workshop. We can do all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. When I first started, it definitely started out as uh, it started as a cool idea, but it was like, but in the back of my head, I always said, if we can do this really well, this can be really special. Um, and, and, you know, so teams that I looked up to in that way were, you know, things like baby wants candy, um, or, or, or improvise Shakespeare where I was like, we Mm -hmm. could take this on the road and more than just festivals. 
Um, and yeah. if we could get really good, I didn't know, I hadn't dreamed where we are right now, right? The fact that, I mean, improv North coast is an indie team <laughs> that, uh, yeah. um, that yeah. is yeah. 11 years old and still yeah. performs weekly. And, uh, even here in the, in the pandemic, and, uh, we now have our own, uh, our school essentially where we teach multiple levels of classes and, That's um, awesome, and, man. and we've, We've headlined festivals in Europe and, and, and it's so it's been really, it's been really special. I did not think it could get to this point, but I did know that if we were good enough, it was special. It, it would, it would be special enough to get some traction. And it's been really uh, pretty humbling to see what we've been able to do. Yeah. Congratulations on it, man. I mean, it's just so, it's, it's, this, it's so hard to do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so like hard to kind of put all that shit together. And it it's funny to see. It's it's amazing to see that, okay, you're doing UCB stuff, yeah. but you do this on the side. And this is the thing that kind of brings you like pure joy, like brings you the kind of thing that maybe you ultimately wanted from all this in a weird way. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. yeah. I mean, I effectively, I effectively, and then obviously with, with Douglas Wydeck, who 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 jumped in mm-hmm. there with me. Uh, I mean, we yep. effectively built a friend group, <laughs> yeah. um, right? Yeah. And uh, and yeah. yeah, no, yeah. I mean, you're you're completely right. And and but I will always give UCB a lot of credit for helping you know, giving me the confidence to do that. Um, and also giving me some of the drive and the community, um, to build that off of. Um, so. Right. Community is the basic skills of improvisation. The, yeah. I mean, it's, I always tell people it's the community it's the people that you meet there. That's the most valuable thing. Sure. You can meet reps and you can get onto SNL. Of course, that doesn't happen for a lot of people. Um, so, you know, take, it's hard to see that though. I mean, it's like, you always like, when you're younger, you're full of piss and vinegar. You think it can happen. People around you, it's happening too. So the carrot's dangling in front of you and you just believe, believe, believe. Yeah. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. But like I was saying about that fucking tree metaphor before, it branched you off into this other little thing where you're combining other passions. And I wanted to know what the big – what was that big fucking change for you, man? I mean you put out a book, but before that – there's this kind of couple year period where you got married, then you got divorced and you've talked openly about yeah. it. Can you take me through that period of your life? Was there some, like, what the, what was happening? Like, how the fuck did you get where you were <laughs> to start when, it, when you were like, Oh, I'm going to go around the country and you know, I'm going to take this little thing and I didn't get on SNL and this didn't totally work out, but North coast happened. And like, how did you go from there to like where, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's a long journey, but there's a lot of maybe turbulence throughout that yeah yeah for sure yeah no um yeah i didn't go from taking taking photos with don finelli in teaneck new jersey to uh <laughs> tedx talks still remember the town <laughs> shout out to teaneck shout out to every yo everybody repping teaneck what up um, yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> hanging out with don and donna um don and donna man so, they love you um but uh yeah man so i mean around the time of uh, around the time, uh, I guess it was like in, in New York City for three or four years. Um, and I had started, you know, through my, my job, I worked at Fordham University, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and was doing student affairs stuff there, namely working a residence life. And, but I had the opportunity to take students to conferences and I'd gone to a bunch of conferences when I was a student leader. And at all those conferences, I just started presenting ideas just for fun of just like, you know, putting in, in a call for programs. Here's a workshop I could teach if people want it. And, um, mm-hmm. 
And I just did it because like we were talking about earlier, like I like being in the front of rooms um, and I like being able mm-hmm. to make people laugh and make people learn at the same time. But, uh, but somebody came up to me after one of those conferences, probably in like 20, 2010 or something like that. Um, and, and they were like, Hey man, this is maybe a, a rude question, but uh, I'm just curious, uh, how much do you charge for your speaking? And I looked at this guy. I looked at this guy. I was like, who the fuck are you talking to right now, bro? I was like, I was like, I don't charge anything. I was like, you could buy me a sandwich. Um, I'll pay you. Yeah. Um, And so uh, because at that time, I was like, who wants to hear your story, bro? You came up. uh, You you came up mad privilege, right? Like you, uh, you, uh, Mm -hmm. who wants to hear your story about the time where you were homesick in college? You didn't learn. uh, You know, you, you weren't you weren't. In, you weren't in Nam. You didn't uh, hurt your friends in a drunk yeah. driving accident. You didn't start from the bottom, yeah. and now you're nowhere. Like I mean, like there, yeah. there was not, none of that. You came from a very privileged yeah. world, and uh, uh, but then I realized that I was like, you know, maybe maybe my story could resonate with some individuals, and so that's how I started speaking. Um, and using right. humor, using improv um, in that speaking has been super powerful. Um, it's, it's the yeah. differentiator. And so that's what I've been able to do, right. man. But, you know, it didn't, it, I left, I left the job and took a full time, a, a leap into full-time speaking, um, probably about yeah. a year before I should have. Um, but it was scary, but you know, unfortunately, unfortunately I had the support of a, a woman that I loved and it loved me. Um, and so, uh, so we wound up moving up to Ithaca, New York. And uh, got me out of the city. And that was that was super hard to leave. I left New York before New York was done with me. Um, But I went up there and and, because I I did a whole bunch of things that I thought I should do. Right. It's like, well, you know, this, you know, she got a she needs she just finished her doctorate and she's got two Mm -hmm. dogs. So you're not going to live. You're not going to get an apartment in New York City with two golden retrievers. Um, (laughs) So, like, you should go to wherever she finds a job. And uh, Mm -hmm. and then we got. And so and then that happened to be Ithaca, New York, even though I had asked for us to maybe live in a town with a big airport. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. the job that she got was Ithaca. And so I didn't fight it. It was like, okay, yeah, I'll support you. Let me move there Uh, because that's what I thought I should do. And then it's like, all right. Yeah, you're right. It is cheaper. It is cheaper to to buy a house than it is to pay the rent in this town significantly, especially in college towns. And so, yeah, okay, we should buy a house um, and we Mm -hmm. should do this and we should do that. And all this time that I was shooting on myself, um, I was not (laughs) listening to me. Um, And I wasn't. What was what were you saying to yourself? Like, what was your soul saying to yourself? There's something wrong. Hmm. This isn't it. Yeah. This isn't this isn't the life that you pictured. It was unhappiness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There was this pit of unhappiness, but I couldn't name it. And so that yeah. that's why it was hard, man, because when you can't name it, it's hard to describe it. It's hard to do these things. Yeah. And so, you know, and she brought up to me in a very kind way that she'd like to have kids. And I froze. I was like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. you know, I changed the subject and then I apologized to her later and I wound up going to counseling. Um, I'm a firm mm. believer in counseling. Um, and yeah. uh, um, but I went to counseling to try to figure out, like, what's going on? And you know, what's the block? Yeah. What is the block? And she was like, well, if you miss improv so much, cause I, I deeply missed improv in community. Um, she's like, why don't you start, you know, why don't you start a theater here? And, uh, and I thought about that and I was like, this, this city's not big enough and not, not big <laughs> enough, not big enough to start an improv community, but big enough to where I would feel like that was a win. Right. right like I just have right. always had these huge dreams and, um, and so for me, you know, I wound up 
not doing what I should have done in that moment. You know, I, I wrote a book. Uh, I wrote a book about authenticity and vulnerability and leadership while I was not being mm-hmm. authentic nor <laughs> vulnerable <laughs> with my wife. Yeah. Right. Like I was going like all, all the stuff I was just trying to carry myself and like, like a true stereotypical man, let me just figure it out on my own. And then I'll present <laughs> yeah. you with my little package. <laughs> Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Was was it a situation where you also felt selfish? You know, I, I feel like there's 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 these moments like if we're brought up to like respect others and and especially in a partnership, like again, there I think there's another fine line with like doing things that would help like your soul to make you better for someone else, and then just doing things for other people and not satisfying your kind of deepest desires or soul yeah. and. I, that's such a scary thing. And I think the way I was brought up and programmed for so long was like, do what other people want you to like serve others, right? Like sh- the should of like, you should do this and do this right thing. Even if it's a little uncomfortable, push through that and, and so forth. Yeah. And I think the selfishness like screws me up, right? Like you're being selfish right now. You can't like, that's bad. Right. And I think there, I think that's true, but there's times to be self, uh, I don't have all the fucking words. You're better at this shit than me. Good, but, good selfish like, and bad selfish. Yeah, good selfish and bad selfish. Honestly, right? Like there's good selfish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause I think if your desires aren't being like if your soul's not being met, how can you be happy? And then if you're not happy, how can you be of service to that other person? Right. Yeah. It's a it's a classic uh um, you know, put your mask on before somebody else's kind of stuff. And that's, that sounds right. all well and good, but I'll be damned if I'm doing that, uh, come the time, right? <laughs> like I just know my instincts and, and same thing for yeah. you, right? I mean, I mean, I yeah. guess it sucks being a good person, but here we are. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's so, it's so interesting, uh, Don, because I, I, you know, I was taught my whole life, just like you be kind to other people, be kind to other people, help other people. I was taught around the age of 32 or 33 that I should be kind to myself. Yeah. Right. Right. So that's that's 32 years of shit, of patterns, of habits that I developed of (laughs) self-loathing of, of, of putting myself second, third, fourth, um, Mm -hmm. that I now need to try to hack through and maybe care about myself. And the, the divorce Uh, The divorce helped me do that. The divorce truly helped me realize that there is a difference between good, selfish, and bad, selfish. Yeah. Because the way that all went down, the fact that I never let her in, uh, the fact that it happened pretty swiftly, um, and it was, I blindsided her, I broke her heart, um, right? Like all those stuff suck. And like, and I beat the shit out of myself for those things. Um, And, uh, um, but that that was bad, selfish, right? Um, But, it was also good selfish because I told myself, no, this is not the life that you want. This isn't it, right? Like, I mean, we're not right. going to talk about religion right now, but like, as far right. as I'm concerned, this is my only life to live. So I'm going to smoke it while I got it, right? In the grand yeah. scheme of universe and time, this is my blip and I'm going to make it fucking bright. And so like, I'm <laughs> right. not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to live a life that is good. I want to mm-hmm. live a life that is great. And mm-hmm. that is good selfish. Mm-hmm. And it took me a while to see it in the midst of the shit and the feeling like an asshole um, and, and hurting someone who didn't deserve to be hurt. Um, yeah. uh, but I mean, that's that's the biggest lesson that probably came out of the divorce for me. 
Yeah, but during it, it's probably just gut wrenching. It's probably like, how do you not? How do you not doubt your? You know what I mean? Like, there's, like I said, it's easy to look back and like talk about it. I I always struggle with like the doubt. Like, I think this is right. Like, I don't know how to listen to my soul sometimes, especially when life beats you down a little bit more. I think it's easier younger when you're just kind of full of those dreams and the, 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 the knockdowns, you can get up a little bit faster, but when you get knocked down a little bit more on whatever level, I think it's sometimes harder to get up and it's sometimes harder to hear that inner light, I guess. How did you, Hey everybody, this is the B-Man, old B-W from the World Record Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that me and my co-host, the A-Train, aka Hershey Hellman, took over office hours live this week. We came into the studio. We made it our own. We wrecked the place. I stole one of Tim Heidecker's guitars. So check out Office Hours Live on your podcast app of your choice or at youtube.com slash Office Hours Live this week and see what happens. Or go to worldrecordpodcast.com and you can watch the videos or join the Patreon, patreon.com backslash worldrecordpodcast. Enjoy the show! It's showtime! How did you like not, or did you doubt yourself during all this? Was that, were there those moments like, this might be a fucking huge mistake? Oh, in, intense moments of darkness, brother. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah. I, uh, I mean, here's the thing: like the brain always feels stupid for letting the heart steer, yeah, and right, um, right, exactly. And so, uh, for me, I remember this. A, a, a quick story from that from that point is that mm-hmm. um, right when the shit hit the fan, and I was uh, <clears throat> asked to leave the house. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like that day, that day I had a, I had a program. I had a program the next day where I was doing seven hours of program programming for, I think it was like Hofstra university at some camp uh, in Uh upstate New York. And so I had to do seven hours of programming, like as my marriage was literally crumbling. Um, And, and I had to go and teach these people authenticity and vulnerability while literally chewing on my own words. And I remember I called my dad during the lunch break and I called my dad and I said, Dad, can I come home tonight? Hmm. And uh, I said, I, I, I made it. I messed up. Um, and uh, I don't I don't I don't think I don't know if Jacqueline and I are going to pull through this. Um, and uh, and so I went home and actually on the way home, it happened to be a Saturday night. So there was a North Coast show. I, I busted my butt into the city. And fortunately, the traffic gods were on my side. So mm. You never know with the GW. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. um, I was able to do a North Coast show, and I remember that show was really beautiful um, because that's the that's the the therapy of improv. Sometimes is like you have the ability to be literally anyone else right now, yeah, and right. it was so refreshing to be someone else. Like I probably played the best characters of my life that night um, yeah, because yeah. I wanted to truly be those people. Um, yeah. And uh, but then I went home every single morning when my mother wakes up, she comes down, she brews a pot of coffee, and she plays solitaire by herself while she listens to, uh, while she listens to the radio, um, for probably two hours. And, and she plays all, and this is what she does every single morning. It's like her ramp up for the day. It's a beautiful pattern. And, uh, I woke up that next morning in my childhood bed and went downstairs and smelled the coffee and the deck of cards was there. And my mom was there, but she wasn't playing. My dad wasn't even reading, and uh, and I sat down. No one said anything, and then my mom 
through tears, mm. she said, when is anything ever going to be go- good enough for you? Mm. When is anything ever going to be good enough for you? What is the matter with you? Mm. Right? Like I remember my dad vividly telling me later on in the day, like, you need to fix this. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and like later on, like my sister-in-laws, when I saw them a week or so later, they're like, I don't know why you're talking to us. If you want her, you should be going to her right now. Right. And, and it's like, I expected every single phone call that I made to a friend. I wanted them to tell me how much of a piece of shit I was. (laughs) I wanted them to tell me like you, like you did what? Like, I never thought you would be the kind of man to do that. I never saw that in you. And I wanted them to rake me over the coals, but these assholes of friends of mine (laughs) never said that. (laughs) Needless to say, I went and got new friends who treated me like shit. No, Um, but still like, right. Like, (laughs) but like they were all like, that's one moment in your life. Yeah. And right. it, it took me a long time. It took me a long time to realize that that was one moment in my life, a couple of bad choices that I made, but they didn't define who I was. Um, but like <laughs> that was years of work. I mean, there's still moments that I still, I mean, now we're five, five, six years removed from that. Um, and right. it, happily in a new marriage um, where there are still moments where, like I'll, I'll pull Tina aside, my, my, my wife and be like, was I an asshole when I said this? Um, yeah. And just like, like still bringing up things where it's like a still every once in a while. And, and those days are few and far between now. They used to be multiple times a day. And now they're maybe, you know, multiple times a year um, and uh, like three or four times a year. So but was, yeah, your, was your mom accurate in, the, in her assessment of you? Meaning like, did you go, oh, fuck, she's right. Like nothing is ever good enough. Or was it because there was some sort of void that wasn't being filled? Because I think I'm the same way in a weird way. Like it feels like some <clears throat> things are not good enough. But I think once you start feeling some sort of void, that's when the satisfaction comes. So. I don't know, like, how the fuck did you take hearing that? I mean, after it crushed me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right? Like, I mean, like, that's like, cue, cue the one slow tear of failure. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember, I mean, like, my mom gave me a hug. She didn't hug me that day, but she hugged me the next day. And it was like the most memorable hug I've ever gotten from my mother. Yeah. Of that moment of like, I still love you, uh, even though you fucked up. Um, and, uh, and like only a mother can hug you, um, or, or someone who just loves you that deeply. But yeah, I think, um, uh, there was a lot of accuracy in what she said. Yeah. A lot of accuracy. I struggle in my life. I struggle a lot in my life, uh, balancing legacy and presence. Mm, right. Um, because I have these dreams Mm -hmm. and I know, and I know what they look like. I can see them crystal clear, but they cause me to not be present. Like I live my life based on what I want to be said in my eulogy, but that means that at the moment, am I having an authentic conversation or am I having a conversation that I think will yield me a good story later or yield if this person shows up at my funeral, them telling a good story about me. And so it was super accurate. Anything having to do with time and enough totally racks my brain, right? Like Hamilton, you'll never be satisfied. Uh, The song from Greatest Showman of like, never enough, Um, right? Like like these stories, these songs are just like punching me in the heart. Yeah. yeah. How does that show up for you, man? I'm curious. Like, how does that show up in your world? The never good enough stuff? 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It feels like um, when I hit a goal, I immediately move on to the next one and I don't appreciate the, the, uh, I don't, I don't feel the satisfaction of the goal. Like I'll make a goal. I'll feel the goal, me getting the goal before I can get the goal and visualize and all that shit. And then when I get it, it really is the journey part that is satisfying for me. And I don't, but I don't celebrate in any way. I don't, um, there's no patting myself on the back. It's kind of soldier like kind of moving on. So it always feels like I'm on to the next thing, I guess, or the next bigger thing. And there's no, uh, solace or relaxation. And, and there's a fear, right? There's a fear of, uh, resting, I guess. And when you are afraid to be present, right? Like if you're afraid to like take in either a compliment or, an accomplishment. Um, I think you, yeah, it's, it's hard. How can you feel, right? How can you feel those things? And then what are you afraid of feeling those things? I've been trying to work out why I'm, what am I so afraid of to hear a compliment, to feel these things? Why don't I think I deserve them? Right. That's a huge thing, which I'm sure if you're going to therapy or counseling, right, those are things you can try to unpack, but that's that's kind of it's a hard to be present and it's hard to kind of pat myself on the back with accomplishments. I've never I never have. I'm trying to. Laura kind of has to do it for me. Um, and I'm just so like focused on the next thing or I'm like so worried about the next thing or so like on to the next thing that I never feel satisfied. There's no satisfaction there. Like you don't you don't allow yourself to feel satisfied. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. 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 It really does. There is, it's interesting. I, I think I would assume that you are like me. If not, feel free to correct me, but I don't like my birthday. Mm-hmm. Um, because like, Oh yeah, baby. God congrats, damn. Congratulations. Jesus. Big, big check mark. <laughs> congratulations. White straight male for making it another year with after your upbringing of more than enough. Like, yeah, let's celebrate you asshole. Um, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's 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 take all. Let's all take a moment and stop for you. Um, right. And yeah, uh, yeah it is. It, it's so interesting because other people see our greatness before we do, and they're mm-hmm. allowed to. They yeah. are allowed to. Um, and and that's the beauty of of Laura um, in, in your world is that it's so special that she is one of the first people who has been able to reach you to where you'll actually hear it. Yeah, right. Exactly. What a, what a gift to yes. open yourself up. Um, yep. um, it's, yeah, it's interesting. It's like, what are you, what are you protecting yourself from? Um, and thinking that like, this isn't, this isn't enough that this goal doesn't need to be celebrated or whatnot. I mean, I remember as soon as I, as soon as I finished my book, I was like, cool. What's the, what's the next book? Right. right? Like I didn't yeah. take a moment to celebrate it. I didn't take any, I was like, yeah, all right, great. Here's a book. Go, yeah. Let's go. Like I didn't even market it. I like, I literally said, I was like, I'm not marketing this thing. It's not good enough. Like, why would I, <laughs> why would I spend my time marketing? Like, I just spent three years of my life writing a book that I was yeah. like, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's fine. I guess even yeah. today when I give speeches, like I still don't market it. Yeah. Um, because it's like, it's not good enough. It's not my opus. Um, yeah, it's no, right. whatever. And I don't know what that satisfaction would feel like. Yeah. Um, 
But I think it comes in time with confusing happiness and success. Sure. And I know that's something that I'm guilty of doing. What's the difference? And what's your definition? What's the difference? So I have a couple of definitions of success. First off, success in my book is being able to pay people to do the things that I don't want to do so I have more time to do things I do want to do. Um, <laughs> that's my that's basic definition of success. Yeah. Um, right? Like I don't, I don't want to spend an hour mowing my lawn. I want to live yeah. a life where I'm successful enough that I can pay somebody to do that who's mm-hmm. better at it than me anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, a right. case, case in point. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think – I mean, happiness is internal and success is external is what it comes mm. down to. Mm-hmm. I, a friend of mine told me the other day that there's no – tombstones don't have titles. And I was like, <laughs> oh, damn. I was like, fuck you. Um, <laughs> you fucker. That's good, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he'll yeah. lead us to say another friend down the drain. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm out of here with these answers. You're out of here. Um, tell me I'm shit. <laughs> Mario. Mario's a fucking like psycho. Mario's a psycho. Don't test. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, but happiness is, is internal. Where do you find that peace? Um, and that's, it's so funny. I'm, I'm looking around for it when I know it's inside of me, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm still, I just haven't, I haven't figured out how to look inside uh, for that happiness. And, you know, it's getting better. Again, my, my partner, Tina has made, has, has made me better in that way. Um, mm. and, uh, yeah, so I don't. I think that that's where I that's where I separate them. Would do you? you think, uh, yeah, do you, yeah. But I mean, is is it something that you think is holding you back from getting to the next, say, level? If there is a next level, or or is levels, I guess, in our own definition, you know what I mean? Like though, that's kind of all made up in a sense as well. Because, uh, like, do you think these, these things are holding you back in a way? And and how are you? How do you? how do you exercise that shit? Cause you're, you're one to give people these motivations. Like you said, we can't take our own medicine sometimes. What, what makes us not take our own medicine? That's the thing that fucks me up. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think a lot of it comes back to this word of, of, of deserving. Mm, right. And it's hard to say I deserve this. Yeah. Like that's a really profound thing to be able to name. Right. Like I deserve peace. I deserve happiness. I deserve to be able to follow my dreams. I deserve to be heard. I deserve to be respected. I deserve like at some point in time, like that sounds not arrogant, but like drifting direction. Right. right, Who are you? Um, And, and that's, that's something that I've been working on is that I, you know, it's just trying to say like, I deserve this. Um, It's so much easier for me to love Tina than it is for me to let her love me. Yeah, right. Because right. I don't believe I deserve her love, especially mm-hmm. at the level that she absolutely wants to give it to me at. Right. Um, and so how do we get over that mountain of this is, you know, of like, well, this is what I deserve. That's decades um, of your of you telling yourself this too. So it's like you yeah. have to overcome decades of programming. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I think there's also, I mean, there's clear markers of stereotypical success as well, right? Like social media uh, holds a mirror up to that left and right with, you know, how many followers we got or how many, what's your rating on this podcast? How many viewers you got? How many, right? Like, yep. I mean, there's metrics that yep. we can consistently compare ourselves to, let alone the images that are a part of them. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and like, for me, I've known that I've always wanted to get up in front of huge groups of individuals and move them. 
Right. Whatever that meant, uh, to, mm-hmm. but to move them. And, uh, and, and so how dare I <laughs> not think that I'm doing that right now? Yeah. Right. Like, who the fuck am I? James, you spoke. <laughs> I did 70 speeches last year. I've talked to over I've, – I've had a, a well over 100,000 people in my audiences, if not like almost 200,000 people plus, right, that I have spoken with and I've had the opportunity, <laughs> the gift to be able to move. And, right. uh, and like how dare I not let that be a marker of success? Right. This is what you wanted to do. Yes. This is your dream. You're living your dream Correct. and it's hard to take a moment and go, wow, I did it. Cause I, is, I, there's gotta be some sort of, yes, not deserving. And then some sort of fear. Like, do you know what you're, do you know what you're afraid of? Do you know what I mean? Do you ever like, con- do you ever, so I try to do this to myself. Like, what are you actually, what is at your actual fears? Like deep down, I try to like write it down. I try to speak honestly to myself because man, can we bullshit ourselves, especially if we're entertainers, man, we know all the tricks to bullshit ourselves too. Yeah. As much yeah. as we hate ourselves, we can, when time comes to it, you can be leaving your wife and then have to give a seven hour fucking presentation, yep. man, you can bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're like actors you, in our own story. We're Absolutely. So like, do you, have you pinpointed like what you're afraid of? I think there's a couple of things. Um, and there's, there's a couple of things that I would say. Um, and, uh, initially my fear was being alone. Um, and, right. uh, and that, that's one that I've been able to work through and, and through being loved and allowing myself to be loved, even, even at the level that I have, which is, uh, you know, not always enough, but you know, it's right. a start, um, right. like that, that fear has now dissipated. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, and then other fears, uh, I think other fears are, are not being, um, not not being I think a couple of things. One is not being seen as intelligent. Mm. I have a fear and a chip on my shoulder and insecurity around not being seen as smart. And that comes mm. from a bunch of stuff from my childhood that if you want me to get into, I'm happy to. <laughs> um, but uh, at the end of the day, uh, I don't believe that people think that I am smart. Mm. Um, or that I am intelligent um, mm. and are wise, whatever it is. Um, and so it's like I'm constantly trying to prove to people that I am. Right. I want to be told that I am smart, that I am innovative, that I am whatever. So there's a, an insecurity underneath all of that. Um, right. And then uh, I have a fear. I have a fear of looking back on my time and mm. saying I didn't do enough. I could mm-hmm. have done more. Right. Um, and so again, that, 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 what we were talking about before is, is, is just like, cool. I'm I, another notch in the belt. Let's keep it pushing. Yeah, um, right. and, uh, and those moments of, so my, but my fear is, I think the fear is twofold because there's the fear of looking back at my time and realizing that I didn't do enough with it. Right. Um, our favorite movie or my favorite movie, Bronx tale, one of yours as well. I know um, they talk yep. about the worst thing in life is wasted talent. Right. Yep. Um, yep. And uh, I would amend that for me. My fears is the worst thing in life is wasted time. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so um, that's why musicals like Hamilton punch me in the gut. And uh, yeah. so it's it's a combination of – and these two are, are a little bit hypocritical to each other. It's a combination of not being seen as if I did the most with the time that I had. Um, but also uh, there's also a fear of you spent so much time pursuing something that you never saw what it is that you had. Mm, right. Yes. And so it's like this weird dichotomy yes. uh, uh, of that. 
You know, it's also interesting to me. One, thank you for sharing that. Um, what's interesting to me, I kept hearing you say like, I did this bad thing with a divorce, but it's more of how you did it, I guess. is, And then because it did lead you to this kind of new life, right? It was more how in the how maybe than in the actual, like, if you look back on it, like that wasn't necessarily bad in the grand scheme of things. It was kind of necessary, right? Which I feel like a lot of failures in a weird way are. Absolutely. Um, and then, and then you write a book where we kind of also connect as like leading imperfectly. What what made you want to write that? What what kind of what sparked what what? Why did you feel the need to kind of unleash all of the all your thoughts on that kind of topic? And then yeah. can you? And then what what what's the kind of what's the core of it? What's the kind of core message of the book? Yeah. Um, sheer arrogance is the answer to your question. Um, <laughs> yeah, because uh, no. every time we say we can't do something, there is that other fire in us that goes like, "But you, like, fucking do it." You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you could be the best author in the world. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, uh, it's funny. Writing the book uh, was easily one of the most polarizing things I've done for my self-esteem because there would be times <laughs> where I would write something, a paragraph or a quote, and I was like. This this will be quoted until the end of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But most of the writing process was, ain't nobody reading this shit, bro. <laughs> yeah. Like, let me get this straight, James. You want to write a book about leadership at the age of 32? Go ahead and get the <laughs> fuck over yourself. Um, like, who exactly are you? You are not a CEO. You have never, like, <laughs> you've never even seen a million dollars, let alone made it. Um, <laughs> you have... Right. Like, who are you exactly? Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I mean, one of the main reasons why I wrote the book in the beginning uh, was honestly uh, was honestly because it was a sexy business card. Yeah. Um, right. It's a better business card than a business card. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, but also was the idea of like, let me get my thoughts out, because a lot of leadership books that I read felt unattainable, unapproachable. They were written by people who were trying to leave breadcrumbs, but they were so their time had come so far ahead of mine that those breadcrumbs had disintegrated. Yeah, and, right, right. And so, uh, and, and so I'm grateful for those individuals and those books, but uh, they didn't make a lot of sense for me, right? I think my mentors in life are often two or three years ahead of me. Um, mm-hmm. They're not these icons, but they're the people that I can actually watch them try, fail, do, succeed, win, and they mm-hmm. give me hope. And so um, – so yeah, so I wrote this book for that reason. It's about the role that authenticity and vulnerability must play in leadership. It's yeah. basically about why leaders have to be storytellers mm-hmm. um, and why we must lead through love and not fear. And those are some of the big the big points of of the book. Um, yeah. And uh, opposite um, of Machiavelli. <laughs> opposite of Machiavelli. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Suck it, Prince. So, um, not actually Prince. Rest in peace, Prince. Rest in peace, um, Prince. <laughs> the Prince. Suck it, the Prince. The Prince. Um, <laughs> availability. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So you you kind yeah. of take this journey to write this. Vulnerability seems to be a big part of of who you are. Yes. And and opening up and then using humor. I think it. I think. I think we know the difference between someone being vulnerable with their humor and someone like having a shtick, I guess, um, or yeah. the the veneer 
of of like which I kind of respect both. Like I get both sides. Uh, <laughs> both work for me. Like if you kind of are playing through a character, like I understand that. There's some joy in that. And if you're really playing who you are and and being vulnerable in front of people, I think it just. It, I think there's a fear of like the vulnerability is going to. The thing I get really fucked up with with vulnerability is like, especially let's just say the UCB system because they go like. We like you for who you are, and then here's all the notes of like how not to be who you are in a weird way, yeah. um, or like you are so authentically yourself, but it still doesn't fit into that system necessarily, and you feel bad, right? There's shame that yeah. comes with that, and I think that's the tough thing with vulnerability. It's like the times that you are vulnerable, sometimes like that is not met with a lot. I feel like a lot of the times that's not met with positivity. It's like met with resistance in a weird way or there's and I, that's on the other person as much as it is on you and i think probably more on the other person maybe all on the other person uh but <laughs> <laughs> i was hearing like uh, i was listening to uh liz gilbert talk i think on the tim ferris show and she said um you know you break your fu- f- femur bone femur 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 yep femur you break your leg that bone hit <laughs> that bone heals um, in like a couple weeks, you know, maybe a couple months. Right. But if someone says you're ugly when you're a kid that you still remember that like 30, 40, 50 years later, like the, the emotional side of you doesn't heal, uh, like your body, like your physical side does. And that's right, a real right. like crazy thing. Ultimately. I mean, what I, what I believe is a vulnerability begets vulnerability. Yeah, right. Um, right. Right. Especially for us as men. Um, mm-hmm. We as men, we are often taught to be internal processors, right? Like we talked mm-hmm. about earlier, you figured out and then you present your solution to individuals um, and you don't, you don't walk people through your process. Yeah. Um, it's societally expected for men to be internal processors. And, uh, and so when men are vulnerable with other men, there's this really, there's this beauty to it um, mm-hmm. because there's this feeling like we don't have to do it alone, but to your point earlier, uh, vulnerability can be off-putting. It's really about how you set it up. Yeah. Um, it's it's all in the delivery of it, right? Brene Brown talks a lot about yes, you know right. the vulnerability for the sake of vulnerability isn't good, right? Um, right. right? You walking around saying this happened to me and that happened to me and I'm <laughs> yeah. crying every day, right? Like yeah. you're doing that for for attention. Uh, right. You're doing that not necessarily to create community or, um, or to make other people feel heard or connection, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, yeah, it's oftentimes where that vulnerability comes out, and this is. This is interesting because as we have, have matured, um, mm-hmm. as we've matured, mm-hmm. we think about it, the friendships that we have. And right. what are the friendships that round the corner into real life with you? Mm-hmm. And what are the friendships that they're always going to be college drinking, partying buddies? And like when you get together, you laugh about the good times and that's awesome. But yeah. you never really talk about anything else because you never let yourselves go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and so – this is the power of, of vulnerability. And I would assume even for you, I'd be curious, right? I mean, as, as a new father, mm-hmm. um, your community is now going to expand, right? right? Into other fathers and parents and stuff like that. 
how you determine who you're going to sit next to at the swim meet um, or who you're going to sit next to at the, at the, yeah. at the show, at the performance, at the recital. Um, and right. Like who's, whose children uh, are you going to encourage your child to play with? Cause you secretly really think the other guy's cool. Um, right. Like yep. um, those are going to be the individuals that you have real conversations with. Right. And so we can feel it. And that's the mm-hmm. same thing. Like, I mean, that's what I talk about in the book is that as we lead, Mm-hmm. As we lead, your vulnerability begets other vulnerability. Relatability is super powerful. When we see ourselves in somebody else, we believe that we can. Right. And right. um, and so and there is there's good and bad vulnerability, and and it's it's really isolating to mm-hmm. put something out there that was really big for you, but other people didn't know that it was big for you. Um, And now you're just sitting in it. (laughs) (laughs) Was that the book for you or did you, was there a way to like protect yourself by moving on to the next thing? You know what I mean? Did you sit in that vulnerability? Uh, I mean, I didn't, uh, much to our previous conversation, I certainly didn't celebrate the book when it came out um, at all. Um, And uh so yeah, I mean, I think there there would have been vulnerability in doing a lot more marketing, but I yeah. I mean, I don't like selling myself because yeah. it feels weird. I want the book to do the talking, I want the speech to do the talking, I want all right. that. I don't want to tell you, convince you to come and do the thing and do it, blah blah. Right? Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't want all of that. And so I didn't put effort into marketing for a number of reasons. One, I didn't want to be seen as some salesperson that was constantly all over your newsfeed. Right. Uh, but also number two was it did protect me. Yeah. Right. It protected me from those few reviews that just like you said, you're going to remember the person who called you fat in third grade. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm going to remember the one negative review. Mm-hmm. Um, and it all, and uh, And so it did protect me uh, from some of that. Is part of vulnerability opening yourself up to that though, and learning how to deal with it? I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You have to be vulnerable so with yourself. Hard. Vulnerability is not just an outward thing; it's an inward thing as well. Like you oh, talked right, about, right? Yep, like you talked yep. about with your fears, the way you're working on your fears, and like the way I try to do that too. Um, that's mm-hmm. that's inward vulnerability because you can continue. To, I mean, we all know the phrase "fake it till you make it," right? Right. right. <laughs> but if all you ever do is fake it, do you ever really make it? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to own who you are in those yeah. moments. Yeah. How did? What are the diff? Like, okay, so marketing for you personally is maybe difficult in this line of business. But like, what are some of the other roadblocks uh, about being a public speaker? About being a motivational speaker, a life coach? What What are some of the difficulties of that? Um, of, of your journey so far with that? Because you've had successes. You've sure. talked to, like you said, you've talked to hundreds of thousands of people. So what what were, what were are some of the kind of day in, day out struggles that you have with that? Yeah, I think a lot of it, there's, there's a bunch of them. <clears throat> there's a bunch of them. I think uh, the first big hurdle that I had to get over and still, I'm still getting over as I develop new content is, uh, why are you the person talking right now? Mm. Like you should be the person listening, mm. right? Like uh, you've been handed because of history and systematic, uh, systematic isms, all of the systematic isms in the world, racism, sexism, all these kind of things. You've been handed the largest microphone. That mm-hmm. means that you don't need to use it, bro. Uh, you mm-hmm. should pass it to somebody else. So you can hear what they got to say. Um, right. And so it's like, who are you to be telling these stories? Like I just recently right. in the last year or so, um, started to, uh, talk to men, male only audiences as well. Kind of added that to the repertoire. And Mm -hmm. I do a program called men work in progress, but (laughs) 
I had an idea. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> um, so I had an idea um, that uh, I had this idea a number of years ago of like, yo, especially when the Me Too movement really gained uh, the, the steam that it beautifully did. Um, and, and it was like, who's talking to the men right now? Um, and it's always beneficial when you see yourself in somebody else, like we talked about, the message is more easily digestible. Um, oftentimes it just feels like a little bit of sugar coating on the Advil. And so, so where are men talking to men right now about the same issues? Um, and, uh, and then, but I immediately thought of that and then I immediately followed that up with, well, that, that ain't you, bro. Look what yeah. you did! Look what you did to your last wife. Look at uh, all the times you said something stupid, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, whether uh, unintentionally derogatory, or uh, you know, you called so and so a so and so, and and uh, it's like this ain't you. Bro. You're right. Someone should be talking to them, but it's not you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it took me a long time, probably two or three years, to build up the courage to be like, well, let me let me put something together and just see what it feels like. Um, and put it out there. Um, and so that, that's one thing for sure. Um, I think also, uh, as interestingly enough, as we've been talking a lot about me wanting to be in front of bigger audiences and stuff like that, I've always had a fear, uh, a fear of the camera of like, it felt super selfish, Mm, felt super selfish for you to take a camera and point it at yourself. Yeah. Right. right. Like, let me talk into this void right now and expect people to watch it. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, so I didn't reach people in those ways. Just, only recently have I started posting videos on YouTube of just like little snippets and stuff like that, or, or, or doing things like I just finally started this, this TV show that I have an idea for that I finally just started. Um, mm-hmm. and, and put, I've had that idea for six years, but I was like, yeah. don't do it, bro. Don't, that's so arrogant. You're going to point the camera at yourself. Wait for someone to point the camera at you and then you'll be allowed to do that how are you pushing past these fears like how do you get to that so yeah you're thinking about this for years like what is the is there a trigger is there or is it just like you're fed up and you finally do it or how do you push past your fears yeah so i think for the for the for the one program the men's program specifically just to use those two examples that one involved me asking questions Mm. Um, and asking a lot of questions and also getting honest people's feedback of right. like, you know, what, if I said this, this way, would I sound like a douchebag? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, if mm-hmm. I, you know, do you think I'm the right person for this? It was also, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of asking for permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, cause not, you never want to add to the problem. Um, right. and, right. uh, and so, yeah, so I think that was a little bit of what that looked like was just, was fine. And then also just finally having the courage of just mm-hmm. putting it out there and seeing if someone would book it. I didn't even right. market it, right? Like I told a couple of people, I put I put it on my website. I didn't even share the link out to people. And yeah. somebody found it and said, we want you to do this. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then I did it and it worked or it was, I was, it was good enough that I could mm-hmm. be like, oh, I'm excited to work on that. Yeah. Right. Again, like we look at the sketch stuff from earlier. Like I wrote some funny sketches, but the process wasn't fun enough, wasn't cool enough, wasn't exciting enough that I wanted to do more of it. Whereas right. this was, and, yes, um, right, right. and then as far as this TV show idea, I've had this dream, uh, and, and this is why I've, I've always listened to your podcast and, um, and, and, and loved it is, mm-hmm. um, is that I have this dream of having a late night talk show, um, mm-hmm. where I have deep conversations with people while we also laugh a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, so I started this show called Diner Talks with James Hell because yeah. I think the best conversations we have in our lives occur after eleven o'clock over meals we shouldn't be eating with friends that we love. <laughs> <Yeah>. And so, <laughs> um, but the reason why I started it 
this year was honestly because of quarantine, because mm. there's something about this moment in time right now that's a great equalizer. Right. And uh, there's also something about this moment in time right now where it's a little Groundhog's day E. Yeah. And right. so, like, no one's going to shit on me if I tell them, like, yeah, I had a TV show for a little while. I tried it out. Yeah, in quarantine, yeah. uh-huh. people are like, oh, quarantine. Oh, yeah, I did a bunch of stuff in quarantine. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I tried to fix my marriage in quarantine. Yeah, anyway, anyway. Um, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So, uh, so there was almost like the world helped me lower the wall that I built. Yeah, right. Um, and so I think those those are the biggest ways that I have done it. It's, it's also recognizing that I I build the barriers that are in my way. Yeah, right. No one else is building those. And I determine whether or not they're breakable or not or not. Yeah, what are they made of? Right, right, right. right. Mm -hmm. But so many times in my life, I said the phrase of, okay, I'm going to do that, but I need to do this first, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's like, you know, I I actually recorded nine episodes of a podcast three years ago that never saw the light of day because I didn't think it was good enough. Yeah. And before I did that. Before I did that, even to get started, I was like, all right, well, I got to buy the right microphone first. All right, I got to get the right blank first. And so it's all these things. It's like, no, you didn't need to do any of that shit. You just (laughs) needed to start, ass. Um, (laughs) Are you like a goal setter? Like what are your your feelings with goals? I think, I mean, goal setting is, I think goal setting is powerful. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, it's, it's as cheesy as it is. They have to be smart goals, right? right. These specific, yeah. measurable, attainable, real, realistic, timely, right? Like they, um, you know, so many of us right now are beating ourselves about not being productive enough, but yeah. you're not defining what productivity looks like. So how are you holding right. yourself accountable to just some word, yes, right? Yes, um, and uh, and so uh, I think goals that are goals that are attainable, that are realistic, um, and that, that have a timetable are super healthy to set. Yeah. Um, but you need to be honest with yourself. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and the goals need to be, uh, you know, checked out through along the process of like, is this still a realistic timeline for me? Cause life has been happening. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, for that reason, I think goals can be good, uh, but they, they truly do need to be named. And mm-hmm. so that you can actually mark your success mm-hmm. and see your progress instead of just having this emotion, Right. Of like, well, I, I assume it. If once I finish this goal, utopia will be on the other side. Yeah. It's emotion um, plus action, right? Like you need to have yes. the emotion to to motivate you, but then you need to act act on it uh, right. to kind of see it through. It's not just going to magically uh, happen. Uh, Absolutely. Wh- where are you? Where are you getting your? Wh- were there certain people that really inspired you? Are there books that you went to, or speakers that you went to that you really kind of got a lot from? Uh, were there any like game changers for you? I think, uh, I mean, again, there, there are a lot of people that are just a few years out, right? So they're not people mm-hmm. that, I mean, no, I look up to, uh, you know, the Tony Robbins and, sure. uh, you know, I, I see the way Gary V moves, Eric mm-hmm. Thomas, Les mm-hmm. Brown, right? Like these icons of the business. Right. Um, and, uh, I mean, they're, they're at a great place because when they, you know, anytime they shit, people spend millions of dollars on it. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I remember it was like this time when Chevy Chase came into UCB. Um, mm-hmm. And jumped into a set. Mm-hmm. And this man 
said one word and the audience laughed so fucking hard <laughs> and it, but it wasn't funny yeah but it yeah. was just like this is incredible that we are in this moment with him and it was so fascinating to be an observer now mind yeah. you i should have been present in the moment because fucking chevy chase was on the stage <laughs> but instead i was like let me watch the way the crowd moves with him i say um, that's presence though i would argue that th- that you were present in a different way Sure. Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. I appreciate <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I feel bad. I mean, let me cross that one thing off my list. Um, <laughs> uh, feeling lighter over here, Donnie. Feeling lighter. But and so and so so that's kind of what when I look at these icons, that's what it looks like. Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, but I have a goal. Um, I have a goal to meet Brene Brown in five years. I don't know how that's going to happen. If anybody's listening, can help me out. That's amazing. But like, I have a goal to meet her um, and have a, a deep conversation with her. Um, and so Brene Brown has definitely helped me out a lot. I read Darren Greatly in the middle of my divorce. I don't yeah. recommend that. Um, <laughs> I recommend it at most other points of life, though. <laughs> why, why don't you recommend it there? Were you too, it was too big of a wound? Uh, no. I mean, it was because... Of first off, I do recommend it at any point in your life. It's a it's, it's a book, book that yeah. it's yeah. a book that should be read at multiple mm-hmm. points of your life. Right. Um, and uh, and so it was a really profound, but it just it just, it just I don't recommend it because it sucked. Um, because it's just one big ass mirror and I was feeling yeah. real ugly then. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think Brene Brown for sure. Um, and, and, you know, there's a couple of speakers out there that I love. This guy named Corey Cicchetti, um, mm-hmm. talks about chasing an authentic life and about, he tells a story about this famous greyhound that won all these races and just kept winning. And, uh, and, 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 uh, Gary, uh, not Gary V, um, uh, Jimmy V, uh, Jimmy, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy V, former NC State coach, told this story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, about this famous greyhound who kept winning all these races. And uh, and then one day the greyhound just stopped running. And the owner was like, well, don't I treat you good? And the greyhound's like, oh, you treat me like gold. I feel like a king. And the, and the guy's well, don't you like to run? He's like, greyhound's like, I love to run. It's what I was built for. I absolutely love it. He's like, well, then what's the matter? Why aren't you going to run these races? And he said, well, I just found out that that little white rabbit that I've been chasing around the track all these years is fake. <laughs> Right. right. And, uh, yeah. and so like this authentic, like Corey Cicchetti talks about that in a really powerful way. Um, this guy named Tom Krigelstein is someone who I look up to. Uh, I'm really just trying to give you tough last names so you can't look them up. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> How the fuck do I spell these? <laughs> um, so, uh, happy, happy to text you afterwards. Um, Chippy uh, Stickenstein? What's his name? <laughs> I think I played him in a scene at the Creek. Jessica Ekstrom is somebody else who's, I mean, even though she's younger than me, what she's done with her business, Headbands of Hope, and she wrote a book called chasing the bright side uh mm-hmm. that i really love and uh and so like those are uh, those are some individuals that I, I love the moves that they're making and mm-hmm. i because you watch them win but you also watch them fail and get back up um, right. what's a and, fail what's what's a fail to someone like that is it like a bad speech is it um a bad business what? move really bad right like move. like yeah let me invest uh you know all this money into you know, in Google ads or into uh-huh, this, right. uh, this workshop that I thought people would buy. I spent all this money and all this time and all this beautiful online platform and ain't nobody buying shit. Like I didn't even, right. they didn't even recoup the money, let alone the hours that they put into it. Yeah. Um, so those, those kind of moments where has that ever like, happened you know, to you? Like where you went like, Oh, here we go. Big talk, 50 people are, you know, 500 people are going to show up and it, and it hasn't panned out like that. Uh, I recently had an opportunity um, through a friend of mine to talk to the sales team at the Minnesota Twins. Holy shit. Um, which is super exciting. 
Um, yeah. and, uh, and, uh, I mean, I know, I know you love baseball. I do as well. Mm-hmm. Yankees all day. Um, no, but, uh, <laughs> um, and so this was a really huge moment and I was like, yo, this is it. Cause if I can get in with one sports team, everybody talks to each other. And so like, you know, I know the twins are friends with the nationals are friends with the Rangers. And like, mm-hmm. so, uh, they get on calls with each other a whole bunch. And, and I got on there and I did a session. Uh, it's a virtual workshop. It's right around the uh, kind of early during this whole quarantine thing. And, um, I did a session on virtual public speaking skills <laughs> and, uh, and my tech shit the bed. <laughs> I was like, really? In the middle of the the virtual public speaking skills presenters got shit ass tech, um, and uh, and it took me a while. Like, I mean, I was able to land. I, I eventually got them back. Yeah, but but not in a way that they were like, oh, we got to introduce you so and so and so and so, right? Like right. in a way that's like, I'm I'll reach out to them in a year yeah. <laughs> because I don't want to show my face for a while, right. um, and so that that beautiful opportunity that you think is going to be so special. And then you just totally, uh, you totally shit the bed. That, that's, that's the most recent example that happened to me. How do you get up from that? You know what I mean? Is it just like, I always feel like time is a thing, like, like you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. you have issues with time, but I feel like time is kind of does heal in a certain way. Like, is there ways that you get up? Like, do you have to self-talk or you just go like, up? Oh, that was, that was shitty stumbled there. And, kind of moving yeah. forward, you know? Yeah. My first plan of action was to close my laptop and curse a whole bunch and <laughs> make my wife wonder if I tripped and killed myself um, <laughs> because of the noise that was coming out. Right. Like, I mean, right, like, right. and just like going in and just being like, I cannot believe I just fucked this up. Yeah. And like, just this her, I mean, God bless her. She just sat there and just listened to me <laughs> rip on myself for a long time. Yeah. And it's hard to hear the person you love talk about themselves in that way. But yeah, of course. Um, but but still, uh um, so that that was that was plan A um, that mm-hmm. I did. And then mm-hmm. we moved eventually into plan B, um, which was uh which was okay, how can I how can I at least reach out to them and let them know thank you, right? Don't apologize for a whole bunch of stuff and just yep. just reach out to them and say thank you for the opportunity. Can I mail you a free copies of my book um, or something like that? And then and then it was and then it was also um, doing another thing, right? It's like it's not like yeah. I could. I'm never getting on another Zoom call. I'm never doing another virtual session. Right. Um, the dream is too big. Yeah. Right. To let one right. thing stop it. Right. Um, right. And so setbacks are just that. They're setbacks. Right. They're not barriers. They're not stopping points. They're not dead ends. Um, right. And uh, so I think that was it. Was it for me? It was like, all right, well, get another speech on the books because I'll be right. – this is not the way you're going out, bro. Um, like you got to get back out there. Didn't your fucking didn't – like didn't you have like a mic issue with the TED Talk too? Was it yes. like, didn't a mic go out or something like that? Yep. Yeah, it was another failure. Yep. Another huge moment in my life, getting a TEDx talk. I was like, here we go. This is going to transform everything. Uh And then my mic glitches in the middle of it. And I was like, really? Right now? (laughs) This is the other funny thing too, because you're like, it's all about improvisation and kind of like going with the flow. And I remember you talking about like, you know, how how you actually freestyle rap where you like, you truly don't know where you're going. You're just rhyming shit. And you don't even know what you're rhyming. But then when it actually happens, you're like, fuck, like, <laughs> don't know the bad yeah. the thing. It's like an opportunity to show how. And I don't I think you rolled with it so well. You made jokes. You kept you know what I mean? Like you probably on the outside looking in, you're like, yeah, that worked. I didn't see any like major. I, you didn't fumble. Yeah. You didn't um, visibly show fear 
uh, it didn't throw you for the rest of the, you know, the yeah. the talk. Like you just made a joke and you kept going. I was like, wow, that was a good thing. But it's so funny. I wonder what was going on inside. Was there like, yeah, no, long fuck. Yeah, actually, right, yeah, right, one, right. one, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I definitely was like a duck up there, right? Like, uh, like smooth, smooth to what everybody else could see, but a hot mess down below. <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah. like, like, and I was, but I was, I experienced anger in that moment. Yeah. Like I was literally like I had, it wasn't just fuck, this is happening. It was like, fuck you tech person. <laughs> right. Like fuck all the way off. Like, this, like what? <laughs> did this happen during your TEDx talk? Did you even get a TEDx talk? Would you get a TEDx? You suck, bro. I wouldn't even give, I wouldn't let you talk to a pillow. Right. Like, <laughs> in my head is all of these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just like I flew all the way to Tucson, Arizona for yeah. this shit. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. And it was, I was very grateful that none of that came out. Of course. But, and also it's yeah. like anger doesn't do anything at that point. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Well, man, does it, you know, it's like stoic philosophy one oh one, where it's just like, man, you can, you haven't, that is outside of your control. You did everything inside of your control to prepare to have this talk, to be motivated to give this talk, to be grateful to give this talk, right? Yeah. Tech totally out of your control. So it didn't look like your little webbed feet were flapping uh, <laughs> underwater that fast. Yeah. But yeah, that's... It's I'm crazy guessing, yeah, you use improv to kind of push through that. Yes, and the moment. Yeah. Yes, and the moment. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. What is this gift? It was a gift. I landed a couple of jokes out of it and we kept mm -hmm. it moving. Right. Um, but that goes back to so much of what we're talking about and this podcast is you control what you give power to. Yeah. Right. Right. And so like, right. I could have let that twin situation, that TEDx situation, I could let, uh, you know, I, this divorce and how I handled it, um, could still be racking, racking my brain, but you control what you give power to and for how long you give it power. Mm, and that's right. the thing that, and you just said it so beautifully, brother, when, uh, when you were talking about like, what can I control and what can't I control? Right. So many people are focusing so hard on things that they can't control mm -hmm. um, because that's easy. Yeah, right. It's easy to focus on the stuff that you that is out of your control because that lets you complain, that lets you make excuses, that lets mm -hmm. you do all of those things. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you focus on the stuff that you can control, well, now you got to take ownership. But that's I mean, hard. It's so hard to 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 do that. And usually that would be a great ending point, but I'm a bad interviewer and I'm selfish and I want to end on something that's been rattling around in my brain and I'd love to discuss it with you. And then we'll, then we'll end this thing. Cause you have better things to fucking do, buddy. I don't uh, know if that's true, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been, I've been torn between these kind of uh, opposing forces inside of me. And I don't know if you feel this way sometimes, but they are the kind of, manifest your dreams, big, big thinking, visualizing, um, being really clear with your goals, wanting these things so badly, putting all your passion and effort into getting this thing. Right. And then the other side of this kind of stoic Buddhist philosophy of like wanting shit is the suffering. You know what I mean? Like wanting stuff, uh, craving stuff. That is where you get, that's, that is where you suffer. And I've been just trying to find this beautiful harmony between those two things. The not being disappointed if I don't get the things that I want 
uh, especially right away because I'm an impatient motherfucker. And then <laughs> also like, but my big dreaming, my big kind of thinking has got me to where I am today. Now I can be in an unhappy place uh, where my career is and all that stuff, but it still kind of got me here. So it's it's a hard I'm, I've been trying to find that balance. I don't know if you feel that ever, like this kind of pull between why do I want all these things? Like I shouldn't need to want these things. I should just be content with what I have, I guess, the gratefulness of what you have now. Um, I feel like they don't have to butt heads, but they are butting heads inside of me. Yeah. Yeah, I mean uh... – to drag this on more, because that's what I like to do. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to answer your question. I'm going to ask Good. you one. Because um, <laughs> uh, I think you just something, you just said a really powerful word of content, right? Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I, I don't know, I don't believe that content and happy are the same things. I think they are two different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I often, it's said, I often associate contentment with settling, but that's not always right. Mm, um, right, and, right. uh, but sometimes the negative side of my brain equals, oh, you're content. That means you settled. Right, um, but I right. think settling is probably below contentment. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. What, what do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you want right now? Oh, come on, man. That's, oh. I mean, you hear it in my voice. It's so hard to, well, at the core of everything robes, uh, is safety. Uh, I have I have huge safety issues from various things that happened in my past. Um, so I have this other opposing force inside of me that says my brain goes, um, do the safe thing, do the routines, um, live in a safe environment where nothing goes wrong. You know, like the kind of, it craves safety. The other soul side of me loves adventure, loves making people feel things, loves taking chances, loves art, loves cre- creativity, all that crap. So my big issue right now is safety because I think I'm at a point in my life where I'm like fish out of water, where I've like gotten some things, but I'm kind of floating around this ever since I moved out to Los Angeles. I've been kind of free floating a little bit, trying to figure out what the fuck to do next or to figure out if, are my dreams finito or been at this weird kind of crossroads. So yeah. what does safety, lot- what does safety look like? Like what would like, what's an example of what safety would be when you think about that as a route? That's a that great question. Five? Is that a, like, what is that? What does that mean? <sighs> safety for me, I think safety for me is routine. I think safety for me is, um, doing something that is deeply in my control, knowing what my day will look like for the week. Um, all the stuff that my brain tells me that will make me safe. I think it goes against my soul, but safety, I think at its core is, is some sort of routine and knowing, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then what's yeah. the other side? What is, what does the other side look like? What are the things that you yearn for dream about and, and whatnot? The other side, the the stuff that I yearn for is, um, I think at the core of it is helping people. I like to, I really do get off on um, similar things that you feel, which is like uh, moving people, um, bringing joy, bringing change, like positive change. Um, and I always thought that was through uh, acting. I always thought I could kind of connect people, connect with people 
on that level because in my real life I am much more guarded uh, unless I'm with friends that I trust and stuff like that. But on stage, I, you know, I was free writing this morning and it was like, um, I like, I think why I did so well in improv was because it was structured un- and unstructured at the same time, meaning there was safety yeah. boundaries, right? It's not like I'm swimming out in the ocean. It's like, I'm swimming out pretty deep in the ocean, but there's buoys around. Do you know right. what I mean? So I was like, wow, I can be myself. I can be fucking crazy, man. And I can do all these things and play different characters and not be myself and then be my authentic self and do all these things because there's some sort of boundaries. And right now I feel like there's no boundaries and I feel like I'm, I am out in the deep ocean. So I'm craving some sort of structure, some sort of uh, routine, some sort of buoy that I can kind of go back to. Cause when I moved out here, I didn't do as much UCB stuff. UCB was always kind of my home. My parents are on the East coast. Laura's parents are on the East coast. So we don't, we have great friends out here and uh, uh, that's kind of like our home, but I don't have like a home either, you know, like a home base, right? Like yes. I feel like a, a lot of us need a home base, uh, that place where they can kind of escape if they need to just take a breath. And I don't think I have that. So long winded answer. That's powerful, man. Yeah, no, yeah. Uh, I, I love that. <clears throat> um, I'm happy I know some of these things because I think for a while I did not know these things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the power of naming them and saying them out loud is is that's that's real. Um, sure. I, I think that. Uh, yeah, I, I love the juxtaposition between the two things that you just said mm-hmm. um, because you talk about them like they are wildly far apart. Um, <laughs> And they're not right. Like, I mean, as somebody yeah. who's listening, like you talk about them, you're like, yo, could you, could you even fucking picture a world, bro? No, sit down. Let me tell you this. Um, right. Like, um, and, uh, <laughs> it's, it's so interesting when I was younger, I wanted to be a marine biologist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, specifically I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau. Yeah. Um, so you got your Jacques- undergrad in, right? Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yep. I'm a pr- proud holder of a Bachelor of Science in Marine <laughs> Biology. Um, I am pressed dates at aquariums. Um, so, uh, <laughs> um, so it's still, uh, so, so, but I wanted to do it. And, and the reason why is because, uh, the reason why is because I wanted to, um, I wanted to, uh, whether I knew it or not, I wanted to educate people about something that I thought was really cool. Or something mm. that I thought that they should care about. Um, right. And so I then went in, found out my junior year of college, I didn't want to put, I was putting too many jokes in my scientific research papers, like the <laughs> anemone puns were getting old and overused. And uh, so, <laughs> so dumb. Um, but, uh, but still, uh, I realized I didn't want to do the research. So my teachers were like, this may not be for you. And I was like, mm, I think I agree. <laughs> so I was like, well, cool. Well, I wanted to, you know, one thing I want to do with marine biology is I wanted to teach. So let me get into high school and let me teach high school and I'll right. do that. And so then I took some, I took a bunch of education classes taught in, in high school as an internship or, or whatever, right? It's like student teaching type stuff. And I was like, yo, this is hard. This sucks. Yeah. Um, like I'm not happy here. Uh, my self-esteem was not built for high school students. And, um, and so then I wound up getting tapped and my friend, my, this person, my supervisor was like, why don't you go into higher education, work in student mm-hmm. affairs? And so I did that for a while, which was a lot of education and more leadership, which is something I knew that I was learning that I loved and it was helping people, but it still yeah. wasn't it. I was like, yeah. I don't have a desire to climb this ladder. I don't want to yeah. move away from students and more into administration. Um, and so then I started speaking mm-hmm. and I love speaking. 
because I get to entertain people while they get to teach them about something that I care about. Mm, right, right. Which is exactly why I wanted to be Jacques Cousteau when I was younger. Right, right, right. And so for you, it would be interesting to see, you know, like going back to your branch analogy, um, uh, yeah, right? Maybe. To be, yep. it'd be interested to see what's budding on those branches that are really close to what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and because at the core, at the core, what is it? Um, yeah. When you think about things that you used to do all the time as a child, what were the things that made you super happy? And think about some of those things that you would just do for hours and hours and hours. You don't even need anybody else around. Or, or what were the things that you do that, that you did when you were younger that people would now ask? If you were to tell somebody that knows you now, they'd be like, oh, yeah, of course you used to do that. For example yeah. – when I was younger, there was a stump. There was a stump on my. Uh, there was a big elm tree that had died, and mm-hmm. uh, and we we cut it down to a stump, and we couldn't afford to remove the stump, so we just kind of had the stump on our corner for a while. And I would ask my mom all the time, "Mom, can we go sit outside on the stump so I can wave to people and ask them how their day is?" <laughs> Which oh, is the James. most disgustingly <laughs> James Robillata thing that's yeah. ever happened, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But like. Yeah, that's I didn't you to a T. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's crazy because there are these things that our younger self, when we didn't think yeah. about failure, when we didn't think yeah. about dreams, when we didn't think, we just did. Yeah. Um, and so the things that you're talking about are not too far apart. And so I think that is a big interesting thing for you to think about Yeah. Um, yeah. is what does that look like? I know right now for me, um, right now for me, like I've thought about like, all right, do I go more? Uh, do I just keep speaking and just like try to speak at other audiences and just keep going? Right. I'm making good money. Well, before this whole thing happened, I was making <laughs> yeah. good money. Um, and, uh, and, and, uh, or, or is it like, no, push, push towards this entertainment dream that you have where you can impact more people on a bigger level. Um, but in the same, in a similar way. Um, yeah. and it's, it's hard because, uh, you're right. What is what is safe to you? Mm. Um, and understanding and defining what safety looks like. I think right now the way you talk about safety, you make it sound really unsexy. Mm. You make mm-hmm. it sound like it's this like a boring ass job. But <laughs> yeah. there is so much space in between settling yeah. and balls to the walls dream chasing. Right. 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 I think so. I think then that's what I've been trying to, I guess, come to terms with um, or try to understand a little bit better. Like it's not yeah. black and white. There is beauty in the gray. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of the the marriage. Would, yeah. Think about who are some people in your life. And this could be something if you want to talk about right now. That's cool. If not, you can just, I can just ask a rhetorical question and sound mm-hmm. impressive. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but who are the individuals in your life that were game changers for you? Right. Like, you you know, maybe a former baseball coach or mm-hmm. or something like thinking about some of those individuals, your, your maybe maybe your parents um, and uh, or, or whatnot. But like thinking about some of them, what was it looking back that they had mm. that you probably associated with safety and associated with someone who was doing life right? Yeah. And you know what they all had in common? It seemed maybe it was a facade, but it seemed like they knew themselves really well, right? The people that I feel like we're attracted to sure can give us the advice, but it's almost like, I think they, I think they do take their own medicine. Um, Whether they have struggles with that or not, I think they do believe 
It's like it's like we are attracted to people that are for good or bad, uh, as we can see in like say politics or other areas of life. Like people that truly believe in themselves and believe what they're selling, um, which is why I think that's what makes a great salesman is to truly believe that they have what they're offering is important. Um, and I wouldn't say the people I look up to were salesmen. I was saying they just truly knew themselves, and there was some sort of freedom in that. Right? There's some sort of freedom. It felt like they were light. Uh, they were not heavy. Um, and then there's all sorts of people. Sure, my, my parents are – there's hero aspects of looking up to the the things yeah. and the sacrifices that they made that are – that made my childhood, f- for lack of a better – a, a solid childhood. Yes, there were some things that happened that shaped my life, but all in all – like you said, the privilege of, of, of that comes along with a lot of that stuff is, you know, impo- is you have to be grateful for it. So, yeah, yeah. that's an interesting thing uh, to think about, like the people that it, that had helped have helped you or that you have looked up to and what the qualities that they show. Because sometimes I think those people have negative, you know, have a lot of negative qualities, too. Right. Like they're sure. human. They're not superheroes. Right. I think that's. I think that's some of the stuff you talk about in your stuff too, Absolutely. which is like th- you can see the cracks and because you can see the cracks, it makes them more relatable, which is probably why you look up to people that are a couple of years ahead of you or your peers, because you can see the cracks. It makes them more relatable. It reminds that it reminds us that they're all uh, human. Um, it gives you hope. But, it gives you hope. Yeah. It gives you, because, it, it, it really that's does. That's cheesy, but I don't care. Um, yeah. Because the thing is, is that, it's interesting the way that you talk about these people in your life is you talk about them almost in an idolizing kind of way. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, talk to any adult and they'll tell you like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I'm just trying to figure this shit out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, so it, the perception that they had it all together and don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you that these people did not have a lot of their lives together, um, but there's, that I would perception. say they didn't, I would say they yeah. didn't, you know, like, and I know that they didn't. That's the other, that's why I brought up like, Oh, they had multiple problems themselves. It just seemed like what they were passing down to me and what gotcha. I needed to yeah. hear at the time, they were completely authentic about it. I didn't feel bullshit. I love that. Yeah. Do you know what okay. I mean? It's like, yeah. of course, we're they they were they were flawed humans, but the connection that we had at those points, those like times where we really connected, I felt like they were being their authentic self, and I felt like their experience, what they've learned from their own lives, with their own experience, they were tr- they were being truthful to me about those and trying to whether I could see it at the time or not, right? Probably not, right? So it, it's. Those are the things I kind of remember, which is like I would say they're some of the most flawed humans. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> you yeah. know, some people yes. have so many issues, whether from parents to friends to whoever was mentors and all that stuff. Like, but that's what makes me believe them, though. Like, right. That's what makes me go like, I trust you on this one. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And we like, you don't the, need to be an expert. Teachers, yeah. We love the teachers that cursed at us, right? Because it was just oh, like, yeah. oh, this guy. Oh yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. No, yeah. We get the real shit out here. <laughs> yeah. I believe you. There's no facade. There's no facade because there's so much facade. There's so many, the, the right way to do things and society telling us how to behave and all that stuff. And all that stuff is good to keep a society running, but then it yeah. d- deprives us of our kind of inner compass a lot of the time. So talking to someone that has some sort of openness and what they're sharing is authentic, or at least you perceive it to be authentic, I think is uh, kind of yeah. a powerful 
those are powerful uh, moments. And I think that's a, a great exercise, like you said, to think about those people. It's, it's super – yeah, it's, it's an interesting one to think about because they're the ones who determined – who helped us write our own definitions of success and happiness, right? Right, Based on what we saw in them, through them, with them. Um, and I think another question I would ask you, yeah. uh, if I may, um, mm-hmm. is you, know, you said that you want to make an impact on people. Yeah. I want you, if you can right now, to think about think about who do you want to impact? In other words, like I want you to think about like a type of person, right? Like when you start to like if you're to we're gonna get real cheesy, close your eyes and think about it. Mm-hmm. What does that person look like? Oh, it's such a good question, James. I never thought of that. I never thought of that. Um That could be an interesting thing to free write about too. I think so. I don't I don't think I have that right now. And I think that's such an interesting I think this is the problem sometimes I have with the grand thoughts because they are just grand, but there's no substance behind them sometimes. And I think this might be a micro example of that, which is like, I want to help everybody. I want to help everybody, right? It's like one, yeah. one that's impossible. It's hard to market uh, to everybody. <laughs> yeah. And you have to open yourself up to being criticized, right? And I think there's a, I have an issue with that. Like, when I hear criticism, I'm always like, yep, you're right. You know, like so quick to be like, I know I'm the first person to know you don't have to criticize me. But in that feeling, I'm sure you, you have talked about this uh, today. It's like sometimes you close your down, yourself down to criticism too. Like you don't open up as much to criticism because you're like, I know what they're going to say. Yeah. Like, I don't need to hear them say it because I know what they're going to say because I hate myself more than they can hate me. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's such a great question. I think that's something I would need to kind of like really um, – oftentimes I kind of have gut stuff that I go like this. And I, I'm pretty good at that. But that one I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. It's such a great, great, great question. Why, why ask that question? What is important about that? I think I know, but – Yeah. I mean ultimately it's, it's clarity. Mm. Right. right. Like it, it helps like what you're on a quest for right now, all of us are on a quest for, not just, not just Don Finelli. Um, yeah. we're, on a, we're on a quest for clarity. Yeah. Right. Because right? when we feel there's so much power in alignment. Yes. Right. And that's one thing that I've felt in finding speaking is I felt I felt more alignment. I'm not completely in line, but I'm getting closer. Right. right. Like right. and 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 ultimately that's what I that's what I want to do. Um is 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 I don't know. I think that's the meaning of life, right? Is becoming yeah. completely centered, aligned, whatever word you want to use in there. Yes. Um, and uh, it's a cliche meaning of life. Um, right. But uh, and, and so for you, if you're able to picture this person mm-hmm. or, you know, group of people, mm-hmm. um, then it'll let you know, cool, where does that person hang out? Mm-hmm. How can I get to in front of them, right? Like who mm-hmm. knows, maybe when you're dreaming about this, like all of a sudden you're you're picturing like when you think back between what are the most influential times of your life, um, what are the big, biggest moments of growth for you? For me, one of my biggest moments of growth where I think I really learned a lot about who I am and why that matters is in college. And so mm. I intentionally, therefore, want to give back to college students mm, right? because that moment was so important for me. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's not true for everybody. Um, but either way, um, 
either way, that clarity helps you because then you can start to explore like, okay, what are careers that look like who do that? Or what are shows, you know, if you want to stay in the entertainment industry, how can I get in there with some of these types of folks? Or, um, you know, where do those people gather and who is serving them and how are they serving them? Which one of those dresses fits me the best? Right, right. Yeah, it's so powerful. I think clarity for me is also safety in a good way. You know what I mean? It's, yes. it's kind of turning the lights on and, and seeing the boogeyman for what it is. It is kind of seeing your fears in the light. So I think that's such a great ex- – hey, man, I'm getting a, fucking, uh, a free fucking lesson from James Robolata right here, man. This is like <laughs> – You told me this is what you wanted. So this is – uh, you're not supposed to say that part. Oh, sorry. sorry yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> dude, uh, I don't want to cut this right here, but this was uh, – this was amazing. This was uh, an amazing. T- it was so great to to catch up with you, man. And I'm so happy that you found something that it feels like this is your your calling. You know what I mean? And I, it feels like you are much more aligned in your life. And I I'm happy to hear that. I'm I'm very happy to hear that. Thank you, brother. Um, yeah. And I would be uh, remiss to say, and you're going to cut this part out because this is how you are, but that's fine. Yep. Um, yep. I'm still going to say likely. it. <clears throat> um, <laughs> I promise I won't. Okay, I'm making a promise here. I'll not cut this next part out. <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, I appreciate what you said, man, about me. I, I, I think, it, I think it, it is a journey, and, uh, um, and that's cheesy, but I don't care. But like, mm-hmm. it is, it is I, I do feel more aligned, and, I, and I'm grateful for all the steps that got me here. In, in particular, when you think about the people in your life um, that saw you in in your moments, right. um, and and you are you are someone who, when you reached out to me and texted me about being on this podcast, um, mm-hmm. I got tears in my eyes because oh, wow. um, I've I've actually dreamed of being on this podcast, mm-hmm. um, but I never wanted to reach out to you because I never that's weird. Again, let's see, see previous selling conversation, <laughs> and also like you never want to be the person who puts your friend in a weird shot in a weird spot. <laughs> Sure. Right. It's like, oh, if you got an extra ticket, you know, let uh-huh. me know. You know. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. definitely taking you over my wife. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, good job, Paul. Um, <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> uh, but it's um, it is uh, you are one of those individuals that I have respected from day one. And I um, that, man. and 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 this podcast has been it's helped me a lot as well. I think this is this is something that I would point people towards um, as, as something to get through. And uh, but you I mean, you have a gift, man. And I just I want to thank you for seeing me uh, for me back in the day in a community where uh, I don't I didn't think anybody cared. You did. Um, and, uh, and that's unfair to everybody else, but it's also says a lot about you that, that you made me feel that way. Um, and so you're forever, uh, going to be one of those, uh, one of those powerful friendships that no matter how long it's been, um, I I can't wait to tap back into. I know, man. Same, same. Absolutely. And er everything you said, I mean, right back at you with that. It's such a, yeah, it, it, it's, it's, you don't find people like that. So when you do, and I apologize that I haven't, you know followed up as much as I should, but it's sometimes when you diverge, I think those are the strongest friendship. You can diverge for a little while and you come back and you pick up right where you left off and you can be just as vulnerable, just as open, have shoot the shit just as much and not necessarily just dwell on the past, right? Like talk about yeah. the present and talk about the future. I think those are uh, strong friendships. So thank you uh, for that, man. And I apologize back to you also. This way we <laughs> negate our apologies and we just both feel like pieces of shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> and we'll end it there. That was my boy Robo, James T. Robo. A lot of thanks, James, for doing this, buddy. Check out his website, jamestrobo.com. He's doing virtual workshops right now. And when he gets back to touring, you can go under events and try to catch him at one of his Living Imperfectly Live events. Uh, Diner Talks with James is every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, on Facebook and YouTube Live. Uh, you can catch him on Twitter at James T. Robo. You can follow me on Twitter at Don Finelli or at The Need to Fail. Questions, concerns, failure stories of your own, hit me up at The Need to Fail at gmail.com. Please keep rating and reviewing the show on iTunes and Stitcher and telling all your failing friends about it. Uh, that's it for me here. We got all new failures coming at you next week. Thanks so much for listening. My name is Don Finelli. Mahalo your dreams. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.